Section 22 of Germinal by Emile Zola. Translation by Havelock Ellis. The slipper box recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Part 4. Chapter 6. Jeanlin was now well and able to walk, but his legs had united so badly that he limped on both the right and left sides and moved with the gait of a duck, though running it as fast as formerly with the skill of a mischievous and thieving animal. On this evening, in the dusk on the Requillard road, Jeanlin, accompanied by his inseparable friends, Bébert and Lady, was on the watch. He had taken ambush in a vacant space behind a paling opposite an obscure grocery shop situated at the corner of a lane an old woman who was nearly blind displayed there three or four sacks of lentils and haricots black with dust and it was an ancient dried codfish hanging by the door and stained with fly-blows to which his eyes were directed twice already he had sent bebert to unhook it but each time someone had appeared at a bend in the road always intruders in the way one could not attend to one's affairs a gentleman went by on horseback and the children flattened themselves at the bottom of the paling where they recognized monsieur hombault since the strike he was often thus seen along the roads riding alone amid the rebellious settlements ascertaining with quiet courage the condition of the country and never had a stone whistled by his ears he only met men who were silent and slow to salute him. Most often he came upon lovers, who cared nothing for politics and took their fill of pleasure in holes and corners. He passed by in his trotting mare, with head directed straight forward, so as to disturb nobody, while his heart was swelling with an unappeased desire amid this gormandizing of free love. He distinctly saw these three small rascals, the little boys on the little girl in a heap even the youngsters were already amusing themselves in their misery his eyes grew moist and he disappeared sitting stiffly on his saddle with his frock-coat buttoned up in a military manner damned luck said jeanlin this will never finish go on bebert hang on to its tail the two men once more appeared and the child again stifled an oath when he heard the voice of his brother zacharie narrating to moquet how he had discovered a two-franc piece sewn into one of his wife's petticoats they both grinned with satisfaction slapping each other on the shoulder moquet proposed a game of cross for the next day they would leave the advantage at two o'clock and go to the montoir side near marchand zacharie agreed what was the good of bothering over the strike as well amuse oneself since there's nothing to do and they turned the corner of the road when Etienne, who was coming along the canal, stopped them and began to talk. "'Are they going to bed here?' said Jeanlin in exasperation. "'Nearly night. The old woman will be taking in her sacks.' Another miner came down towards the Recrelar. Etienne went off with him, and as they passed the paling, the child heard them speak of the forest. They had been obliged to put off the rendezvous to the following day, for fear of not being able to announce it in one day to all the settlements i say he whispered to his two mates the big affair is for to-morrow we'll go eh we can get off in the afternoon and the road being at last free he sent bebert off courage hang on to its tail and look out the old woman's got her broom 
fortunately the night had grown dark bebert with a leap hung on to the cod so that the string broke he ran away waving it like a kite followed by the two others all three galloping the woman came out of her shop in astonishment without understanding or being able to distinguish this band now lost in the darkness these scoundrels had become the terror of the country they gradually spread themselves over it like a horde of savages at first they had been satisfied with the yard of the voreux tumbling into the stock of coal from which they would emerge looking like negroes playing at hide-and-seek amid the supply of wood in which they lost themselves as in the depths of the virgin forest then they had taken the pit-bank by assault they would seat themselves on it and slide down the bare portions still boiling with interior fires they glided among the briars in the older parts hiding for the whole day occupied in the quiet little games of mischievous mice and they were constantly enlarging their conquests scuffling among the piles of bricks until blood came running about the fields and eating without bread all sorts of milky herbs searching the banks of the canals to take fish from the mud and swallow them raw and pushing still farther they travelled for kilometres as far as the thickets of vandam under which they gorged themselves with strawberries in the spring with nuts and bilberries in summer soon the immense plain belonged to them what drove them thus from monceau to marchiennes constantly on the roads with the eyes of young wolves was the growing love of plunder jeanlin remained the captain of these expeditions leading the troop on to all sorts of prey ravaging the onion fields pillaging the orchards attacking shop windows in the country people accused the miners on strike and talked of a vast organized band one day even he had forced lydie to steal from her mother and made her bring him two dozen sticks of barley sugar which perron kept in a bottle on one of the boards in her window and the little girl who was well beaten had not betrayed him because she trembled so before his authority the worst was that he always gave himself the lion's share bevere also had to bring him the booty happy if the captain did not hit him and keep it all for some time jeanlin had abused his authority he would beat lydie as one beats one's lawful wife and he profited by bebert's credulity to send him on unpleasant adventures amused at making a fool of this big boy who was stronger than himself and could have knocked him over with a blow of his fist he felt contempt for both of them and treated them as slaves telling them that he had a princess for his mistress and that they were unworthy to appear before her and in fact during the past week he would suddenly disappear at the end of a road or a turning in a path no matter where it might be after having ordered them with a terrible air to go back to the settlement but first he would pocket the booty this was what happened on the present occasion give it up he said snatching the cod from his mate's hands when they stopped all three at a bend in the road near Requillard. bebert protested i want some you know i took it eh what he cried you'll have some if i give you some not to-night sure enough to-morrow if there's any left he pushed lydie and placed both of them in line like soldiers shouldering arms then passing behind them now you must stay there five minutes without turning by god if you do turn there will be beasts that will eat you up and then you will go straight back and if bebert touches lydie on the way i shall know it 
and I shall hit you. Then he disappeared in the shadow, so lightly that the sound of his naked feet could not be heard. The two children remained motionless for the five minutes without looking round, for fear of receiving a blow from the invisible. Slowly, a great affection had grown up between them in their common terror. He was always thinking of taking her and pressing her very tight between his arms. As he had seen others do, and she, too, would have liked it, for it would have been a change for her to be so nicely caressed. But neither of them would have allowed themselves to disobey. When they went away, although the night was very dark, they did not even kiss each other. They walked side by side, tender and despairing, certain that if they touched one another, the captain would strike them from behind. Etienne, at the same hour, had entered Aquilac. The evening before, Moquette had begged him to return, and he returned, ashamed, feeling an inclination, which he refused to acknowledge, for this girl who adored him like a Christ. It was, besides, with the intention of breaking it off. He would see her, he would explain to her that she ought no longer to pursue him, on account of the mates. It was not a time for pleasure. It was dishonest to amuse oneself thus when people were dying of hunger. And not having found her at home, he had decided to wait and watch the shadows of the passers-by. Beneath the ruined steeple the old shaft opened, half-blocked up. Above the black hole a beam stood erect, and with a fragment of roof at the top, it had the profile of a gallows. In the broken walling of the curbs stood two trees, a mountain ash and a plain, which seemed to grow from the depths of the earth. It was a corner of abandoned wildness, the grassy and fibrous entry of a gulf, embarrassed with old wood, planted with hawthorns and sloe trees, which were peopled in the spring by warblers in their nests. Wishing to avoid the great expense of keeping it up, the company, for the last ten years, had proposed to fill up this dead pit, but they were waiting to install an air-shaft in the Moreau, for the ventilation furnace of the two pits, which communicated, was placed at the foot of Requillart, of which the former winding-shaft served as a conduit. They were content to consolidate the tubbing by beams placed across, preventing extraction, and they had neglected the upper galleries to watch only over the lower gallery, in which blazed the furnace, the enormous coal fire, with so powerful a draught that the rush of air produced the wind of a tempest from one end to the other of the neighboring mine. As a precaution, in order that they could still go up and down, the order had been given to furnish the shaft with ladders. Only, as no one took charge of them, the ladders were rotting with dampness, and in some places had already given way. Above, a large briar stopped the entry of the passage, and as the first ladder had lost some rungs, it was necessary, in order to reach it, to hang on to a root of the mountain ash, and then to take one's chance and drop into the blackness. Etienne was waiting patiently, hidden behind a bush, when he heard a long rustling among the branches. He thought at first that it was the scared flight of a snake, but the sudden gleam of the match astonished him, and he was stupefied on recognizing John Lynn, who was lighting a candle and burying himself in the earth. He was seized with curiosity, and approached the hole. The child had disappeared, and a faint gleam came from the second ladder. Etienne hesitated a moment, and then let himself go, holding on to the roots. He thought for a moment, 
that he was about to fall down the whole five hundred and eighty metres of the mine but at last he felt a run and descended gently Jeanlin had evidently heard nothing etienne constantly saw the light sinking beneath him while the little one's shadow colossal and disturbing danced with the deformed gait of his distorted limbs he kicked his legs about with the skill of a monkey catching on with hands feet or chin where the rungs were wanting ladders seven metres in length followed one another some still firm others shaky yielding and almost broken the steps were narrow and green so rotten that one seemed to walk in moss and as one went down the heat grew suffocating the heat of an oven proceeding from the air-shaft which was fortunately not very active now the strike was on or when the furnace devoured its five thousand kilograms of coal a day one could not have risked oneself here without scorching one's hair what a damned little toad exclaimed etienne in a stifled voice where the devil is he going to twice he had nearly fallen his feet slid on the damp wood if he had only had a candle like the child but he struck himself every minute he was only guided by the vague gleam that fled beneath him he had already reached the twentieth ladder and the descent still continued then he counted them twenty-one twenty-two twenty-three and he still went down and down his head seemed to be swelling with the heat and he thought that he was falling into a furnace at last he reached a landing-place and he saw the candle going off along a gallery thirty ladders that made about two hundred and ten metres is he going to drag me about long he thought he must be going to bury himself in the stable but on the left the path which led to the stable was closed by a landslip the journey began again now more painful and more dangerous frightened bats flew about and clung to the roof of the gallery he had hastened so as not to lose sight of the light only where the child passed with ease with the suppleness of a serpent he could not glide through without bruising his limbs this gallery like all the older passages was narrow and grew narrower every day from the constant fall of soil at certain places it was a mere tube which would eventually be effaced in the strangling labour the torn and broken wood became a peril threatening to saw into his flesh or to run him through with the points of splinters sharp as swords he could only advance with precaution on his knees or belly feeling in the darkness before him suddenly a band of rats stamped over him running from his neck to his feet in their galloping flight blast it all haven't we got to the end yet he grumbled with aching back and out of breath they were there at the end of a kilometre the tube enlarged they reached a part of the gallery which was admirably preserved it was the end of the old haulage passage cut across the bed like a natural grotto he was obliged to stop he saw the child afar placing his candle between two stones and putting himself at ease with the quiet and relieved air of a man who was glad to be at home again this gallery end was completely changed into a comfortable dwelling in a corner on the ground a pile of hay made a soft couch on some old planks placed like a table there were bread potatoes and bottles of gin already opened it was a real brigand's cavern with booty piled up for weeks even useless booty like soap and blacking stolen for the pleasure of stealing 
and the child quite alone in the midst of this plunder was enjoying it like a selfish brigand i say then is this how you make fun of people cried etienne when he had breathed for a moment you come and gorge yourself here when we are dying of hunger up above jeanlin astounded was trembling but recognizing the young man he quickly grew calm will you come and dine with me he said at last eh a bit of grilled cod you shall see he had not let go his cod and he began to scrape off the fly blows properly with a fine new knife one of those little dagger knives with bone handles on which mottoes are inscribed this one simply bore the word amour you have a fine knife remarked etienne it's a present from lydie replied jeanlin who neglected to add that lydie had stolen it by his orders from a huckster at Monceau, stationed before the tete coupe bar then as he still scraped he added proudly isn't it comfortable in my house it's a bit warmer than up above and it feels a lot better etienne had seated himself and was amused in making him talk he was no longer angry he felt interested in this debauched child who was so brave and so industrious in his vices and in fact he tasted a certain comfort in the bottom of this hall the heat was not too great an equal temperature reigned here at all seasons the warmth of the bath while the rough december wind was chapping the skins of the miserable people on the earth as they grew old the galleries became purified with noxious gases all the fire-damp had gone and one only smelled now the odour of old fermented wood a subtle ethereal odour as if sharpened with a dash of cloves this wood besides had become curious to look at with a yellowish pallor of marble fringed with whitish thread lace flaky vegetations which seemed to drape it with an embroidery of silk and pearls in other places the timber was bristling with toadstools and there were flights of white butterflies snowy flies and spiders a decolorized population forever ignorant of the sun then you're not afraid asked etienne jeanlin looked at him in astonishment afraid of what i am quite alone but the cod was at last scraped he lighted a little fire of wood brought out the pan and grilled it then he cut a loaf in two it was a terribly salt feast but exquisite all the same for strong stomachs etienne had accepted his share i am not astonished you get fat while we are all growing lean do you know that it is beastly to stuff yourself like this and the others you don't think of them oh why are the others such fools well you're right to hide yourself for if your father knew you stole he would settle you what when the bourgeois are stealing from us it's you who are always saying so if i had this loaf at maigrat's you may be pretty sure it's a loaf he owed us the young man was silent with his mouth full and felt troubled he looked at him with his muzzle his green eyes his large ears a degenerate abortion with an obscure intelligence and savage cunning slowly slipping back into the animality of old the mind which had made him had just finished him by breaking his legs and lady asked etienne again do you bring her here sometimes jeanlin laughed contemptuously the little one ah no not i women blab and he went on laughing filled with an immense disdain for lydie and bebert 
who had ever seen such boobies to think that they swallowed all his humbug and went away with empty hands while he ate the cod in this warm place tickled his sides with amusement then he concluded with the gravity of a little philosopher much better be alone then there's no falling out etienne had finished his bread he drank a gulp of the gin for a moment he asked himself if he ought not to make a bad return for jeanlin's hospitality by bringing him up to daylight by the ear and forbidding him to plunder any more by the threat of telling everything to his father but as he examined this deep retreat an idea occurred to him who knows if there might not be need for it either for mates or for himself in case things should come to the worst up above he made the child swear not to sleep out as had sometimes happened when he forgot himself in his hay and taking a candle end he went away first leaving him to pursue quietly his domestic affairs moquette seated on a beam in spite of the great cold had grown desperate and waiting for him when she saw him she leapt on to his neck it was as though he had plunged a knife into her heart when he said that he wished to see her no more good god why did she not love him enough fearing to yield to the desire to enter with her he drew her towards the road and explained to her as gently as possible that she was compromising him in the eyes of his mates that she was compromising the political cause she was astonished what had that got to do with politics at last the thought occurred to her that he blushed at being seen with her she was not wounded however it was quite natural and she proposed that he should rebuff her before people so as to seem to have broken with her but he would see her just once sometimes in distraction she implored him she swore to keep out of sight she would not keep him five minutes he was touched but still refused it was necessary then as he left her he wished at least to kiss her they had gradually reached the first houses of monceau and were standing with their arms round one another beneath a large round moon when a woman passed near them with a sudden start as though she had knocked against a stone who is that asked etienne anxiously it's catherine replied moquette she's coming back from jean bart the woman now was going away with lowered head and feeble limbs looking very tired and the young man gazed at her in despair at having been seen by her his heart aching with an unreasonable remorse had she not been with a man had she not made him suffer with the same suffering here on this regular road when she had given herself to that man but all the same he was grieved to have done the like to her shall i tell you what it is whispered moquette in tears as she left him if you don't want me it's because you want someone else on the next day the weather was superb it was one of those clear frosty days the beautiful winter days when the hard earth rings like crystal beneath the feet jeanlin had gone off at one o'clock but he had to wait for bebert behind the church and they nearly set out without lighting whose mother had again shut her up in the cellar and only now liberated her to put a basket on her arm telling her that if she did not bring it back full of dandelions she should be shut up with the rats all night long she was frightened therefore and wished to go at once for salad jeanlin dissuaded her they would see later on for a long time poland rasseneur's big rabbit had attracted his attention 
He was passing before the advantage when, just then, the rabbit came out onto the road. With a leap, he seized her by the ears, stuffed her into the little girl's basket, and all three rushed away. They would amuse themselves finally by making her run like a dog as far as the forest, but they stopped to gaze at Zachary and Mouquet, who, after having drunk a glass with two other mates, had begun their big game of cross. The stake was a new cap and a red handkerchief, deposited with Rasseneur. The four players, two against two, were betting for the first turn from the Viraud to the Pella farm, nearly three kilometers, and it was Zachary who won, with seven strokes, while Mouquet required eight. They had placed the ball, the little boxwood egg, on the pavement, with one end up. Each was holding his cross, the mallet with its bent iron, long handle, and tight-strung network. Two o'clock struck as they set out. Zachary, in a masterly manner, at his first stroke, composed of a series of three, sent the ball more than four hundred yards across the beetroot fields, where it was forbidden to play in the villages and on the streets, where people might be killed. Mouquet, who was also a good player, sent off the ball with so vigorous an arm that a single stroke brought the ball a hundred and fifty meters behind. And the game went on, backwards and forwards, always running, their feet bruised by the frozen ridges of the ploughed fields. At first, Jeanlin, Bébert, and Lydie had trotted behind the players, delighted with their vigorous strokes. Then they remembered Poland, whom they were shaking up in the basket, and leaving the game in the open country, they took out the rabbit, inquisitive to see how fast she could run. She went off, and they fled after her. It was a chase lasting an hour at full speed, with constant turns, with shouts to frighten her, and arms opened and closed on emptiness. If she had not been at the beginning of pregnancy, they would never have caught her again. As they were panting, the sound of oaths made them turn their heads. They had just come upon the cross-party again, and Zachary had nearly split open his brother's skull. The players were now at their fourth turn. From the Pelo farm they had gone off to the Quatre-Chemin, then from the Quatre-Chemin to Montoir, and now they were going in six strokes from Montoir to Pré-de-Vache. That made two leagues and a half in an hour and besides they had had drinks at the estaminet vincent and at the trois sages bar mouquet this time was ahead he had two more strokes to play and his victory was certain when zachary grinning as he availed himself of his privilege played with so much skill that the ball rolled into a deep pit mouquet's partner could not get it out it was a disaster all four shouted the party was excited for they were neck to neck it was necessary to begin again. From the pre de Vache, it was not two kilometers to the point of Er Roses in five strokes. There they would refresh themselves at Le Renard's. But Jeanlin had an idea. He let them go on, and pulled out of his pocket a piece of string, which he tied to one of Poland's legs, the left hind leg, and it was very amusing. The rabbit ran before the three young rascals waddling along in such an extraordinary manner that they had never laughed so much before. Afterwards, they fastened it round her neck and let her run off, and as she grew tired, they dragged her on her belly or on her back, just like a little carriage. That lasted for more than an hour. She was moaning when they quickly put her back into the basket near the wood at Crichot, on hearing the players whose game 
they had once more came across zacharie mouquet and the two others were getting over the kilometres with no other rest than the time for a drink at all the inns which they had fixed on as their goals from the herbe russe they had gone on to bouchy then to croix de pierre then to chamblay the earth rang beneath the helter-skelter of their feet rushing untiringly after the ball which bounded over the ice the weather was good they did not fall in they only ran the risk of breaking their legs in the dry air the great cross blows exploded like firearms their muscular hands grasped the strong handle their entire bodies were bent forward as though to slay an ox and this went on for hours from one end of the plain to the other over ditches and hedges and the slopes of the road the low walls of the enclosures one needed to have good bellows in one's chest and iron hinges in one's knees the pikemen thus rubbed off the rust of the mine with impassioned zeal there were some so enthusiastic at twenty-five that they could do ten leagues at forty they played no more they were too heavy five o'clock struck the twilight was already coming on one more turn to the forest of vandame to decide who had gained the cap and the handkerchief and zacharie joked with his chaffing indifference for politics it would be fine to tumble down over there in the midst of the mates as to jeanlin ever since leaving the settlement he had been aiming at the forest though apparently only scouring the fields with an indignant gesture he threatened lydie who was full of remorse and fear and talked of going back to the voreau to gather dandelions were they going to abandon the meeting he wanted to know what the old people would say he pushed bebert and proposed to enliven the end of the journey as far as the trees by detaching poland and pursuing her with stones his real idea was to kill her he wanted to take her off and eat her at the bottom of his hole at Requillard. the rabbit ran ahead with nose in the air and ears back a stone grazed her back another cut her tail and in spite of the growing darkness she would have been done for if the young rogues had not noticed etienne and Mehu standing in the middle of a glade they threw themselves on the animal in desperation and put her back in the basket almost at the same minute zacharie mouquet and the two others with their last blow at cross drove the ball within a few metres of the glade they all came into the midst of the rendezvous through the whole country by the roads and pathways of the flat plain ever since twilight there had been a long procession a rustling of silent shadows moving separately or in groups towards the violet thickets of the forest every settlement was emptied the women and children themselves set out as if for a walk beneath the great clear sky now the roads were growing dark this walking crowd all gliding towards the same goal could no longer be distinguished but one felt it the confused tramping moved by one soul between the hedges among the bushes there was only a light rustling a vague rumour of the voices of the night Monsieur Ambos, who was at this hour returning home, mounted on his mare, listened to these vague sounds. He had met couples, long rows of strollers, on this beautiful winter night. More lovers, who were going to take their pleasure, mouth to mouth, behind the walls. Was it not what he always met? Girls tumbled over at the bottom of every ditch? 
beggars who cram themselves with the only joy that costs nothing and these fools complained of life when they could take their supreme fill of this happiness of love willingly would he have starved as they did if he could begin life again with a woman who would give herself to him on a heap of stones with all her strength and all her heart his misfortune was without consolation and he envied these wretches with lowered head he went back riding his horse at a slackened pace rendered desperate by these long sounds lost in the depth of the black country in which he heard only kisses End of section 22